The scripture reading today comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. First, let us pray. God of power and grace, fill us with the wisdom of your word and the understanding of your spirit so that we may be your church, a people with holy dreams and visions at work in the world. We pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, as of fire, appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. This is the word of God, or the people of God. Thanks be to God. It happened a few years ago now, back when I lived in New York City. I was out for an early morning walk with my dog, Annie. We were on our normal route down Fifth Avenue. It was early enough that there were only a few other people out with us. I passed the Metropolitan Museum of Art where the ground staff was spraying down the steps and a couple of merchants were setting up shop, preparing for another day of selling art on the sidewalk. Again, it was early, and at that hour, it was as peaceful as that stretch of Fifth Avenue ever gets. So I let my mind wander until out of nowhere, Annie and I were dive-bombed by a pigeon. There's really no other way to put it. It came out of the air from behind us. It went straight to the ground, and it missed my head and then Annie's by about this much. I screamed, Annie barked, and the early morning silence was disrupted. 
One of the artists trying not to laugh at me, failing, I might add, but trying mightily, said, whoo, boy, that bird just about got you. You better watch out. The very first story in the Bible includes birds. We've talked about this. In Genesis 1, God says, let birds fly. And then God says, let the birds multiply. But even before God creates the birds, the Spirit of God hovers over the face of the deep. The ancient rabbis suggested the Spirit hovered like a bird. The Talmud even specifies what kind of a bird. The Spirit of God hovered over the surface of the waters like a dove, it reads. That same dove is a messenger of hope for Noah and everyone else on the ark when floodwaters begin to recede after the chaos of a long storm. And it shows up again when Jesus is baptized. Jesus goes under the water and the Holy Spirit descends on him, Scripture tells us. And all four Gospels describe it the exact same way. The Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. This image is so strong that by now, whenever we think of the Spirit, the descriptors and the metaphors that we reach for almost always have feathers. So I wonder how your Holy Spirit or your expectations of the Holy Spirit change if I told you that a dove is actually a pigeon by another name. And for the record this time, it's not about ancient languages and translation issues. It's science. There is no biological distinction between the birds we call doves and the birds we call pigeons. Debbie Blue is a theologian and a biblical scholar and an amateur ornithologist. She has written about this extensively. She says, there is a great variety of birds that we call either pigeons or doves. They are all in the same family. But we tend to call the smaller, more delicate members of the family doves, and the larger, more aggressive members of the family pigeons. But the names are, in fact, entirely interchangeable. When we come to the day of Pentecost itself, like Dale read for us in Acts, there was a rush of violent wind. Some of the language in this story is borrowed directly from the creation story to ensure that we understand the spirit that hovered over the waters then is the exact same spirit that rushes over the people now. There's no bird, not technically, but it is the same spirit. And I can't help but observe that this Pentecost spirit has an awful lot in common with my Fifth Avenue pigeon. But we'll come back to that. My friend and colleague Tom R., he taught me something about Pentecost that I have never forgotten. This story, it contains an incredible list of places and people Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. The people came from absolutely everywhere. But here's what Tom taught me about this. 
the people on that day, they didn't just come from every place. They came from every time, too. Luke, and by the way, the same Luke of the gospel is also credited with the book of Acts. Luke says there were Medes there that day. But hearing that there were Medes there that day would be like if I had stood up in the announcements and said, Molly Spangler is teaching a class about reading scripture as a family. And John Cook is coordinating a graduation celebration for college students. Rowena Nyland is inviting everyone to purchase some coffee. Jennifer Mitchell is planning a new art exhibit in the atrium. Matt McCall is resuming his hymn study series. And Thomas Jefferson will be giving a presentation on religious liberty. If I had said that, you would assume I had some of my facts wrong. Luke says there were Medes there on the day of Pentecost. But in actual fact, the Medes had vanished from the pages of history hundreds of years before. So some have argued that Luke was just sloppy, that he has his information wrong. But keep in mind that Luke is the one who begins his gospel by saying he is writing down an orderly account so that everyone will know the truth. Luke knows exactly what he is saying when he describes Pentecost. Luke is telling us not what is factual, but what is true. And what is true about the church, that community gathered by the Spirit of God, is that it includes not only people from every place, it includes people from every time. God's redemptive work in the world includes absolutely everyone. And that will not be thwarted by anything, not even the realities of our human history. In other words, Luke is telling us that whatever we think we know, the Spirit knows more, and the Spirit knows better. My friend Taylor is the pastor of a church in Georgia. Shortly after she arrived there, she read through the minutes of their very first session meeting back in 1896. The purpose of that meeting, the old minutes report, and I am quoting now, was to provide a written record to the presbytery detailing the names of those in worship attendance, an assessment of the efficacy of the church's biblical instruction, an evaluation of how well members observed the Sabbath, and an accounting of the special outpourings of the Holy Ghost. So according to the minutes, worship attendance was good. Biblical instruction was good. Sabbath keeping was good. An outpouring of the Holy Ghost was listed at none. A hundred years later, in the 1990s, a member writing the history of that church, she observed, as long as this question was asked of us, the answer was almost always none. So I asked myself, was this really true? How was Session interpreting the Holy Spirit? Were we really devoid of the Spirit's movement all those years? 
It took almost a full century before the record was corrected. A sermon detailing their history was preached, the congregation agreed, and session voted that outpourings of the Holy Ghost had indeed always been abundant. None, the church's history book went on to report, could only be understood as theological hogwash. What was true in Statesboro, Georgia, is true in Columbia, South Carolina, and anywhere else that Jesus' followers gather, whether it is in person or online or any other way. We do not always know what the Spirit is doing or how the Spirit is doing it, but that does not mean the Spirit is missing in action. Now, not that any of you have been counting, but it has been 61 Sundays since we were last in this place. And all along the way, we have been wondering, how long will it be? Can a church sustain this much longer? Will giving continue? Will anyone come back? What will we learn? Who will we be when this is all over? Who will I be? Will there still be a place for me? Do I really have to sit outside? Is anyone actually going to come at 9 a.m.? And will God really find me if I'm not in my usual seat? Silly or serious or somewhere in between, the question behind all of these questions is really, are we going to make it? After everything that's happened, are we really going to be okay? I imagine that's what the first church was thinking too, even before it was officially a church. Followers of Christ, disciples and apostles and all the rest, they were shaken after he disappeared in death and returned in resurrection and then left again in ascension. Their reality kept shifting right in front of them, and they knew that so much had changed. They just weren't entirely sure what that meant yet. They, just like us, were making their way forward one step at a time. It's into that uncertain space that Pentecost comes the Holy Spirit rushing down over everyone, transcending time and space, proving to be bigger than everything we think we know and even bigger than everything we know we don't, gathering us all under one wing, reassuring us that even though we are still technically scattered across multiple services and too many pews and at least three media platforms, we are going to make it. We are going to be okay. Because while we might have been missing from this place, the Spirit has not been missing in action, not for a single second. And like Luke teaches us, the Spirit has never before been thwarted by the realities of our human history. And it's not about to be now. Because the Holy Spirit 
is like a pigeon. Do you know how resourceful and resilient pigeons are? They have to be. In New York City alone, there are over four million pigeons. And that city has tried absolutely everything to get rid of them. They have molded plastic hawks to scare them. They have released real hawks to hunt them. City workers have installed speakers that emit predator calls, and they've covered windowsills with sticky gels and smelly oils. They've erected spikes and strung netting and passed ordinances making it illegal to feed them in certain neighborhoods. My previous church in that city, we budgeted $10,000 per year for pigeon abatement. I was there years. I still don't really know what that means. But it didn't do any good. The pigeons are absolutely everywhere. Nothing discourages them. They aren't going away. Even if you catch them and take them somewhere else, they find their way back home again. Did you know that? The pigeon has an astonishing homing ability. It's actually helped shape the world as we know it. Genghis Khan used them to create an information network across Asia and Eastern Europe, and Reuters News Service was built on pigeons' wings. The ancient Greeks, they used them to report competition results back during the first Olympic Games. In the First World War, a single pigeon was credited with saving the lives of nearly 200 individuals. With a bullet lodged in her breast, Cher Ami, as she was known, delivered a critical message in a capsule that was wrapped to her leg, a leg that by the time she arrived was attached to her body by a single tendon. Pigeons can survive just about anything, and they always find their way back home again. No matter how harrowing the circumstances, how narrow the odds, or how risky the task. So here's the truth, Shandon. If the Holy Spirit is like a pigeon, and Scripture assures us it is, we are going to be just fine. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.